Good morning, RBC. I was really enjoying not being the singing leader this morning because it sounded so good. And uh, it was, it was kind of fun to have all of you singing and be able to hear it. And it sounded so well. I just thought, man, if I was leading, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, good morning on the, on this weather together Sunday. Man, we are really, uh, we're warm, aren't we? Last, last week we were fighting for, sh- uh, the sun. And this week we're fighting for the shade. There's a little more space. You can move your chairs if you need. Because this is Rock Bible Church, right? In casual ways that welcome all to worship. Um, good morning. We are continuing our series in the book of Galatians. We're going to be chapter 2 this morning. If you're uh, here live, you want to get your Bibles out and go ahead and find chapter 2 because uh, we won't necessarily have visuals uh, for you. And um, while we're doing that, I will reiterate what Nicole said. We do have men's ministry. Uh, we're meeting Monday nights at 6 p.m. No, excuse me. Monday nights at 7 p.m. Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. Okay, so we've got the extremes covered. We got the the night one and the early morning one, and we'd love for you guys to be around. We're doing a, a summary of three years of men's fraternity, kind of the quick review. We're going to cover all the high points of three years in 36 weeks. Uh, the good news is there's 35 weeks left. The bad news is you missed week one. And uh, it was it was good. We had a great turnout both uh, both settings, and so we're kind of excited about it. And if you have questions about it, would love to uh, answer those. Come and see me. Pull me aside uh, or call me or something like that. And then and then we'll talk. And hopefully, I can get you interested in quite possibly one of the best things I've been involved in in ministry is uh, that men's curriculum. So uh, so there you go. There's my little commercial. Uh, let's go ahead and get started. We're Galatians chapter 2. We're continuing our series uh, on this book that Paul wrote. Uh, last week uh, and, and every week, actually, we're going to talk about in Christ. Um, every week, the title of the sermon, all six weeks, all six chapters, is going to end with in Christ. Uh, last week, we talked about your call in Christ. We chapter 1. Paul talking about his calling and how do you validate or give yourself credit for who you are and what you're doing and should you be in ministry and the whole thing and understanding that God has called all of us, uh, one to himself, but to ministry on some level and we've got to figure out what that is and and, um, and then jump into it. Uh, this week we're going to look at our identity in Christ. Uh, Paul Paul's going to start uh, telling some stories about him and his interactions with Peter. He brought it up chapter 1. But there's all this argument as to, well, you know, the Jews were first and then the Greeks, you know, they're allowed to have the gospel too because everybody can be saved. Amen? But how do we measure that? Or should we be measuring that? And uh, all those that had been in some kind of relationship with God prior to that, they thought we should be measuring it. And Paul's going to come in and say, wait a minute. Our identity is not in measurement. Or we're measuring the wrong things. And so Paul's going to kind of talk about chapter 2, what, what is our identity in Christ? Uh, we're going to get into some technical stuff with Paul and Peter and their little discussions that have nothing to do with us today. 
there's no argument over circumcision and all that kind of stuff. But but the chapter is going to talk about it. The challenge for you this morning is to ask the question, where is my identity? And there's there's the cerebral, the mental, the thoughts of, well, I'm a, I'm a this, I'm that. I was born of whatever. I like to. Da, da, da. But I want you to think in terms of your identity as something you pursue. Because what you pursue really kind of defines what you think your identity is. Uh, you hear people say, uh, hey, show me your calendar and I'll show you what's important to you. Show me your checkbook. I'll show you what's important to you. All right, show me your Apple Pay summary and I'll tell you what you think's valuable. Uh, it's kind of that idea. Now, Paul's going to get into where we spend our time, our energy, what we think, what we say, where we go, what we do. That's really a realistic view of our identity. And Paul's going to say, hold on, be careful. Because most of what's going on in culture back then, and I would argue today just as much, is a pursuit of the wrong identity. And I think the way God defines who you are should absolutely drastically change everything. Change the way you think about things. Change what you let yourself get emotional about. Change what you get excited about. It should absolutely redefine everything for you. And so, uh, let's jump into the technical and bring it into the real. All right, uh, Galatians chapter two. Uh, let's pray. And then we'll do, we'll jump into verse one. Lord, thank you for this morning and thanks for the weather. Thanks for this crowd. Thanks for tents. So many things that go into what happened at the church. Lord, the volunteers that were here, some of them hours ago, just so that this could happen. We thank you for all of that. But most importantly, Lord, may we be reminded that the value of this morning is you. Let your word help define that. And may we see ourselves in it. In your son, in Christ. Maybe that be the goal and the glory of this morning. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. 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 Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Boy, we just jumped in mid-story, didn't we? He's talking about his history and how he got, his calling began. And we're hitting the story mid-frame, saying, hey, I, I tried to meet all these people, and I had Barnabas with me. I have some people who can witness and attest to who I am and where I've been. But what he did and why he did it is the most important thing. Okay, We know these two guys are with him. We're going to find out something interesting about Titus here in a second and Barnabas. Uh, one's going to get in trouble. One's going to get out of trouble. Okay. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, verse 2, though privately before those who seemed influential. He said, I went up to see him. Why? Because seems like uh, Peter and James and some of these guys, they were the influential ones in the beginning of the church. So I went to go talk to them. I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. That would be a little bit of controversial statement for them. They'd say, wait a minute. God's for the Gentiles? 
And Paul's having to remind them what was said way back in the Abrahamic covenant, that I will be a blessing to you, and through you all of the world will be blessed. God's original plan was for his relationship to be with how many of his people? All of them. And who qualifies under that? Everyone. Doesn't matter. What's that say about your identity? You see the identity question is starting to sneak in. Everybody has a relationship to God. The first and foremost is they're his creation. Uh, This gospel that I proclaim to the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. He said, am I on right track? Paul's doing self-evaluation of whether his ministry is actually following God in the right ways or not. Great question for us. Are we self-evaluating or are we looking at our identity and saying, hey, is this the way God sees me? Great question to ask. Good example to follow from Paul. Verse uh, 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. Ooh, Titus just got set free. Right? Adult male, although he was a Greek, right? Though he was a Greek, there was this rule that they had come up with. Hey, once you come to faith, you, you got to follow all the rules of the Old Testament. That means uh, if you haven't been circumcised, well, get out the knife. Whoops. Paul says, wait a minute. Our identity is not in what marks we have on our body, what tattoos we have, what rituals we've followed. Is that true? Let's say yes. What does that do for you? If what rituals you have or have not been in, whether your body's marked or not, whether you've been cut or not, if that doesn't define you, boy, you just got a lot of freedom, didn't you? One, if you're like Titus, you don't need surgery. Two, you got an opportunity now, a freedom to pursue, well, what is my identity then? It's not based on who my daddy is or how long we lived in such and such a place or whether we make enough money. Where is my identity? It's a great, great setup with that Paul's doing this on a real practical level, especially for Titus. Verse 4, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, they had spies, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. See, I, just a second ago I said, look, if, we, if those rules are thrown out, then don't you have some freedom? Yeah, I, I borrowed that from the verse, right? Paul says the gospel we have gives us freedom. Somehow our definition comes from Christ and gives us freedom rather than restrictions. How many restrictions are you putting on yourself? How many restrictions are you putting on other people? How much do you value restrictions? Because that's partly what Paul is calling into question here. We have this freedom in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery. So they want to they negate this freedom. They want the identity to still be in the law or whether you followed the traditions. Whether you're going along with the crowd. Whether you're allowing other men's definitions or other women's definitions to control you. Folks, that's where we live today. That's where we live today. We got a lot of people coming up with definitions of who we should be, what we should think, how we should act, where we should go. Paul says, don't allow them to do that to you. 
We have one person who's decided who you are. Namely, Jesus. So let's not go back into slavery. That's verse 4. Verse 5, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Said, no, we're not going to buy that argument. I know you want to be in control, and you. I know that they used to do this in the past, but the game's changed now. Christ's death on the cross, what He did to sin, what He did for us, it defines us in a new way to where we now have freedom. So we didn't submit to that so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. There's a part of the gospel that we want to preserve and a part of the gospel that preserves us. We're going to get into that at the end in our feelings. Let's keep going. Verse 6, And from those who seem to be influential, though... What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Amen. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. That's kind of weird. The leaders at the time, the leaders of faith, added nothing to Paul. Where's he getting his identity? Not from the leaders. Have you figured this out? You're not supposed to get your identity from other people. Now, can they still lead? Say yes. Is it good for them to lead? Absolutely. We all have to choose courses of action. We also have to make plans. But just because someone makes plans or has definitions for themselves, does that define you? Oh, that we would have the freedom to walk like Paul allowing Christ only to define who we are rather than just the people we think are control or we think no more than us. Folks, I just got some freedom. I just eliminated something from my job description. My job is not to define you. Amen? Amen. I know that's probably not that exciting for you, but it's great for me. Okay. It might be a little depressing for you because it's like, wait, 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 Scott, I needed you to help define some of that stuff for me. Nope. I can help explain what we find in Scripture and how God defines you. That's on my job description still, okay? Which is good because then it gives me something to do. Uh, that was the ones that seem influential that added nothing. Verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised or to the people outside of Judaism, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel to the circumcised, those who were Jewish. What's just happened? Who's getting ministered to now? What's the quick kindergarten answer? Everyone, right? Before it was just the Jews. Now it's everybody outside Jewish nation. That means everybody's got a shot. When they saw that, verse 8, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry, let's try that again, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, Perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. 
that we, though we should go to the that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. He said, when they finally figured out the truth of the gospel, that it should be going to both sides, and we talked about it. We realized this is how God defined us. That the gospel, salvation, the opportunity for a relationship with God, forgiveness of sin, grace, and your identity as a creation of the Creator should be available to everybody. And everybody agreed. Let's have that church. Let's do that in 21. How about? What do you think? The gospel to all people. And Paul never let himself be confused about it. And then watch this. This is a really weird verse. Okay, verse 10. Only they asked me to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. What? Why do we add that in there? We had this big argument about circumcision and non-circumcision, Jews and Gentiles and Peter and Paul, and who's the leader and what? And all of a sudden, hey, but don't forget to feed the poor. Why does that get thrown in there? Because we got to get over ourselves. Here's why. We got to get over ourselves. As long as the church, as long as culture, as long as politics, as long as your family, as long as your job site is arguing over the how you lead and all that kind of stuff, guess who suffers? The people who actually need something. We got to get over our little arguments. We got to get over ourselves so we can get to work. You see, when they solve that, and they go, hey, let's all just work together, and let's all cooperate, what do they get to do next? Something. For them, it was feeding the poor. But they get to start producing, be effective, efficient. Let's get going. What, what's, our, what's our second step? Let's get our identity down so that we can get to work. Great thing that Paul reminds us in that little sentence that seems out of place, but really it's poignant. Verse 11, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Uh-oh. Fight. Because he stood condemned. <gasps> Criticism. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. <gasps> he was eating with someone he was not supposed to? That's not the argument Paul's going to make. Watch what he does. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. Oh, I'm not really hanging out with the Gentiles because the Jews are here looking. Fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Uh-oh. Barnabas has been hanging out and traveling with Paul and he still missed it. Oh, oh wait, there's rules. I got to follow these rules. Oh, okay, I'll start following the rules. And Paul has to chastise them and grab Barnabas to say, Barnabas, who you eat with is not important. You can eat with anybody. Because Jesus didn't die on the cross for those that you're allowed to eat with. Is, is that anywhere in the gospel? No. Barnabas misses it. Uh, do we miss it? Do we, do we make up rules? Of who we're willing to talk to? who is allowed to come to church, who should come to church, who we're going to defriend, unlike. I'm just going to pursue these kind of people from now on. That's judgment. That's dangerous. Verse 14, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew, 
How can you force Gentiles to then live like Jews? That's the hypocrisy. There's one thing to say, hey, you know, it's, it's for you to tell people to not to live this way, but then you go and you live like them, that's hypocrisy. But it might be that Paul's getting at something even bigger. How about you stop making rules for people? How about you guide yourself? How about you evaluate yourself and not let all these other little things try and define you? How about you get your identity outside of your actions and have your actions be determined then by your identity? Folks, I hope you see that what I just said is absolutely backwards for all of humankind. It is definitely not how we act today in world culture. Our act, we, we do not define our identity by our actions. We let our identity define our actions. That is absolutely brilliant on, Ball, on Paul's part. It's wonderful. Verse 15, and we're almost, we're almost here. Uh, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. That means by what you do, by your actions, that does not justify you. It does not qualify you. It doesn't make you a good person or a bad person. But through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. What did he just say your identity comes from? Here's a get. Here's a hint. It's the title of the sermon. Faith in who Jesus says you are. Faith in Jesus' actions and what they say about who you are. That's what justifies us. Justifies, what's that mean, Scott? Makes you right. Makes you safe. Makes you free. Makes you whole. Makes you calm. Makes you peaceful. Takes the anxiety away. You know, I've always been confused. It says do, The Bible says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think to myself, that's great, because my heart and my mind need some protecting, and I would like some peace, and I feel anxious. And yet none of it made sense to me until I started to get this concept with it. If Jesus has decided who I am and what my value is, I have to worry about anything. I can walk into anything peaceful. How great is that? That's freedom, folks. That is the truth of the gospel that Paul's talking about. You ever heard that phrase in the Bible and thought, I wonder what that means? The truth of the gospel. What's that mean? It means you're free. It's where your identity comes from. It's a statement of your value. And Paul's clear on it. So it's not that whether I make mistakes or not, or how many I make, or how big the mistakes were, or how far in the past, or whether I ask forgiveness for them or not. Those are all great things for us to evaluate. And we should absolutely ask forgiveness. But why? Because our identity drives our actions. If what Christ did and said 
about me, for me, for God, to His glory, through the power of the Spirit. If it is true, I can ask forgiveness. And now I can try to be nice, feed the poor, have a conversation with somebody that I disagree with, and do it lovingly, and be nice. That's the freedom and the truth of the gospel. Because no works of the law, they will, no one will be justified through them. Verse 17, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? No. This is why I've made this statement before at church. Christ didn't die for your sins. He's not in the business of serving sin. He died for you. He solved sin. He conquered sin, conquered death. Absolutely. But the value of what he did was you, not sin. This is the argument that Paul makes. See, he even says, certainly not. He says, nope. Verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Wait, now we're in the building business? We're building and tear down? What is that about? He said, we've tore down this identity in actions, this identity in the law, this identity in your breeding or your ethnicity or your experience or your talent or your resources, your materials, your intelligence. We tore all of that down. So stop chasing it. Stop trying to look better than everybody. Stop, stop trying to be in the in crowd. Stop trying to have the best stuff or go to the greatest places and think that that how somehow makes you valuable. If you've got enough friends, if you've got people that'll sit with you or you know the ones that you're supposed to avoid, whether you do or don't do all of those things, that's the wrong pursuit. Stop rebuilding a false temple. See, Jesus is who we pursue. Verse 19, For through the law, I died to the law. I died to this keeping score. I died to this being defined by other men or what the leaders say, so that I might live to God. That's that idea of let's figure out who we are and agree on it so that we can then start living for God. Let's start feeding the poor. Let's start having a program for the children. Let's start building homes for people. Let's start supporting people in other countries who are trying to get this truth, this freedom out to people who have yet to hear it. That's why we exist, right? Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling ourselves and others to Christ. That's why we're here. That's our identity. Uh, where am I? might live to God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That means stop being a narcissist. Stop turning the conversation around and making it about you. What you're comfortable with, what you're uncomfortable with, what you prefer, or what you don't. What does Christ want? What does Christ like? What's he doing? Let's go back to chapter one. What's he called me to? Bam. Now we can be efficient, effective, and start having some fun. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Remember a few minutes ago I said Christ didn't die for your sins? And some of you like went, <gasps> I have to go kung fu on you, Scott. 
I said, no, he died for you. I stole that too. I borrowed it right there and gave himself for me. Gave himself for me, not for my sins. Conquers a sin, solves a sin at the same time. It's like a little byproduct. It's part of the combo meal. But the purpose, the burger part of the combo meal is you. Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. What? I do not nullify the grace of God. Does that mean it's possible to nullify the grace of God? Folks, you can live functionally nullifying the grace that he's given you. He's given you grace so that you can experience truth, freedom, and an identity. When you pursue the other things to determine your value and define you, you're missing out on the graces that he could give you that day when you do it. You're missing out on the calmness, the peace, or the excitement, or the initiative. I better get going. There's something he wants me to do. I need to get to it. You're missing out on those pieces of the grace. Great concept. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I'm not going to nullify what Christ did because apparently it was on purpose. When he says, when Christ died for no purpose, then Christ died for no purpose, isn't, is there's the opposite side to that, right? What's the Socratic question? Well, then did he die for a purpose? I just told you what it was, right? Because Paul said it, the previous verse. Why'd Christ die? Actually, for many purposes. One of them was for you. Another may be to solve sin, conquer death, establish who he really is, show what he's capable of, to be obedient to the Father, to fulfill prophecy, to give us a hope and a future. There are all kinds of purposes in why Christ died on the cross. In fact, we could spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out the meaning behind the cross. What did he actually atone? And it's a great discussion for us to keep working on. Why? Because it would bring us to our true identity. Amen? May God bless the reading of his word. Man, this stuff's complicated. You know why people don't read a whole lot of Paul sometimes now, right? Or some preachers don't preach on him or whatever. Let me ask you a couple of things and make a few statements about uh, what we hear from this passage and what Paul says. Uh, one is this. Building identity this is your first fill in, by the way. We don't have visual for you to look at the fill-in, so i got to say them a bunch of times. Building identity in self is a vain run. You're running in vain. You ever had, Julie was telling me about this dream she had where she was running, but it was too slow. You ever had that dream? I've had that dream so many times where you're, where you're running, but you're running really slow and you're not going to get there. I hate that dream. I hate that reality more. Building my identity in myself is a vain run. You're out of step. That's what it says uh, uh, down at the bottom of the passage. And it nullifies God's grace. When you try to build your identity in yourself, when you become the focus, the center, 
when you start having all the answers, when you manipulate other people and have try to get them to conform to your comfort level, your desire, or your fears. You are moving in vain. You are off the path, out of step. All of these phrases that we stole from verses 2, 14, 18, and 21, and you are nullifying God's grace in your life right now. Now, can you ever nullify God's ultimate grace? Say no. What Christ did on the cross is done, completed, can't be changed. Amen? That's why we can gather under a tent and smile. But when you build your identity in self, it is a vain run out of step and nullifies God's grace. Right? You ever been out of step? You ever go to um, like a wedding reception and they start doing that line dance and stuff and, and they got all these steps and, and there's like 48 people and they're all doing it and you're trying to learn? That's out of step. Do you know that God might have a dance that's going on? And you got to hear the music so that you get the beat. And you got to watch what's going on around you. Read the room so that you can enjoy. Christ came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. He wants you to enjoy it. Play by His rules. Play by His rules. Uh, number two, Christ. That's your first fill-in. Christ. That's the underlined part. You write Christ over that. Okay. Christ has preserved you in the truth and freedom of the gospel. Verses 4, 5, and 14 argue to this point that Christ has preserved you. What's that mean? Are you okay? Say yes. My goodness. This is the danger of only doing second service. We miss the first service people that we love. The type A's who overstudy. Amen? Are you at risk? No, you're not. You've been preserved. He preserved you in the truth and freedom of the gospel. Is your identity capable of change? No, you can't change your identity. (laughs) Jesus set your identity on the cross. He sent it for the beginning of creation. In fact, Psalm says before even you were knit in your mother's womb, your identity was defined. It can't be changed. It's been preserved. That's the truth. And there's freedom in it. But when you neglect that, when you start to think that you need this, have to do that, da, 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 you know what you've done to the gospel? You've said Christ's death on the cross was good, but I need that and something. You've tried to cheapen the cross, which one, is impossible. And two, it's robbing you. See first set of fill-ins. Okay? The second one, for those of you who can't see the visuals, like maybe our people at home watching and, and downloaded the thing. Christ has preserved you in the truth. You have to write these down today. We're doing something today we've never, ever done before. There is a test at the end, and you will need the actual fill-ins. That is not a joke. I know this is Scott, and you've seen me many times. You think, oh, Scott, he's being sarcastic and funny. No, there is actually a fill-in test at the end today. Okay? Christ has preserved you in the truth and freedom of the gospel. Can I get a quick Amen. Number three, God gave himself for you. That's verse 20, folks. Who loved me and gave himself for me. What's your identity? You're worth the death of God's son. 
that's your value. Now, if you have perfect hair, does that add anything to it? No. If you get into this school or lose your job or made a horrid mistake in your past, does that change your value? No, but it changes something, Scott. I'm just trying to figure out what that is. It changes your experience. Changes your emotion, change your mind a little bit. What's the challenge? To get that heart and that mind back into peace, keep from anxiety, because you remember that he gave himself for you. Why? Because he, what's that L? And rhymes with dove? Because he loves you. Right? Like to always add to that, he likes you also. Not just loves you, he likes you. That's the truth, folks. And we're going to go political maybe for the first time. Rock Bible Church history. The truth doesn't matter to our culture. Wait, that's not political. Yes, it is. The truth is not a pursuit of politics. The truth is not a pursuit of the business you're in. For many of you, the truth is not the pursuit of your family. It's not the pursuit of your experience. For many of us, the truth is not our own pursuit. We're looking for gain, or we want to be profitable, or we want power and control. We want to manipulate. And you live in a world that wants to ignore the truth so that they can create an alternative experience. That's deadly, folks. And it neglects the idea that God gave himself for you. So that you could no longer live for yourself or be defined by your parents or be shamed by a boss or be elevated by a vote. What people think of you does not matter when it comes to your identity or your value. Yeah, it matters for something. Yes, it will drastically change your experience. But it does not matter when it comes to your value or your identity. And here's the test. You said it wasn't a joke, but I, I still thought it was a joke. No. If you wrote everything down, right? Building identity, number one. Building identity in self is, the vain, is a vain run out of step and nullifies God's grace, right? Number two, Christ has preserved you in truth and freedom of the gospel. And number three, God gave himself for you. Here's the test. We're going to read aloud together just the underlined words that we have written down so far. But we didn't get to number four yet, Scott. I don't care. We're just going to read the first three out loud. You ready? One, two, three. In God's grace, Christ preserve you in himself. <gasps> That's a secret fill-in. A secret sentence from formed from just words of the first three. Now, that seems like a cute parlor trick, doesn't it? 
or dad humor? Why do it then? To drive home the point. Where's your identity, folks? It's not in you or your experience. Your your accomplishments or your failures. Your identity and your value is in Christ. Amen? Now, step away from the notes. You can put your Bibles down. You are going to say nope in some way. Some way, shape, or form, you're going to say nope. In my family, uh, and I, I want to say my immediate family, Julie, the three kids and I, as the kids were young and starting to grow up and learning how to talk and learning how to defy authority, we would ask them questions from times and they would say nope. You see, you learn no first, right? Later on, you, you learn the cute way to say no. Nope. And then they turned it into a song. Nope, not today. They would say this all the time. Nope, not today. Nope, not today. If they were feeling goofy, they would, they would sing it several times. Nope, not today. Nope, not today. Hey, you going to clean your room? Nope, not today. Nope, not today. As they're walking away. It's human nature for us to say, nope, not today. You're going to say, nope, not today, in some way, shape, or form. You're going to either look at what culture is trying to do, humanity is trying to do, maybe in your own head and heart is trying to do to you, and you're going to say to that, nope, not today. I'm not buying that lie anymore. I'm going to live in the truth of the gospel. And I'm going to act free from now on. When somebody tries to come and say, well, you know, you really should have, you know, if you would have, hey, you know, maybe... Maybe there's no hope for you. You're going to look at them and you're going to think to yourself, nope, not today. Don't say it to them. Be nice. Or you're going to look at the truth of the gospel and you say, it makes sense. I can feel it on some level. But I still want to pursue these other things. So thanks God, but nope, not today. I'm going to keep doing my own thing. Question is, which nope, not today, are you going to say? Right? That's your fourth fill-in, by the way. Nope, not today. you got to pick what you're going to say, nope, not today, for. Work for a local soccer club, and we have equipment that we lock up from time to time when we're not using it. And there's many reasons for that, especially in the midst of a global pandemic. We don't. We we want to avoid people pulling that equipment out and gathering in unsafe, unmass. You know, within six feet of each other, and there's so many chances for our equipment to be used improperly. Uh, who's liable for that? It's our equipment, and if you didn't secure it, well, you just invited people, right? So there's all these little arguments, right? So we're just going to lock it up. We're going to lock up and preserve the truth. We're going to lock up our equipment for us, the purpose of this analogy. We're going to lock up what our identity is and what our value is. And we're going to leave no room for any liability. We're not going to let anybody come in and try to change it. Now, back to reality. we got people showing up at the fields and they get their bolt cutters. I have locked up our equipment three different times. Three different sets of chains, three different sets of locks. Guess how they're doing right now. All the equipment's unlocked because they've cut all the stuff a third time. You see, they want to put us at risk. 
for their own personal gain and their own personal selfish pursuits. My job is to say, nope, not today. My kids added something years later. We'd say, nope, for a little while, and then it became that sing-song, nope, not today. Years later, when they really didn't like something, they'd say, nope, not today, not ever. Boy, you in trouble now. Get over here. No, right? Uh, uh, you know, God can say the same thing. You start talking about the lies of your identity and your value, God says, no, not today. Not ever. Your identity, your value never changed for me. But you know, eventually what we're going to have to do at the soccer fields... We're going to have to put a fence around it. So now you can't even get in. Can't cut the locks because you can't get in. Spiritually, folks, that's where we're headed. At some point, he's putting a fence around the whole thing. And you'll either be in the club and use the equipment at the right time or be on the outside of the fence looking in, realizing you pursued all the wrong things. We're called in Christ, and our identity is in Christ. Next week, I think we're going to look at our freedom then in Christ. What does he mean when he says that? Or keep going. Amen? Where's your identity? Let's pray. Lord, thanks for uh, difficult arguments, complex thought and situation. Lord, thank you that nothing that we encounter is bigger or too complicated or too difficult has control, power, or influence over you. Pray, Lord, that we would learn how to be the same. That we would trust what you have said about us and that you, we would trust what you did for us. Pray, Lord, that you would allow that to define us. If you're here this morning, or if you're online this morning, and you're asking the question, what defines me? Where is my identity? How am I valuable? I pray that you would pray that. That you would ask God that. That you would let Him to start working in your life. In your heart and your mind. To preserve you. And I pray that God would bless your efforts. Keep his promise to you, as he always does. But that you would engage in it fully. Father, we thank you for this, for the opportunity we have a change, for the offering we're about to receive, for what you continue to let us do as a church. And I thank you, Lord, that is part of your grace. And may we experience it more and more. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's a little complicated. Makes you think about a lot of things. And I know there might still be some confusion.
I'm available for discussion and answers. But I trust you will remember we're only a third of the way through the book. So there's four more chapters for us to get some more depth and understanding from. Amen to that. And may God define you today and always. Amen. Go with him.